You're listening to the Amazing Women Podcast, where we enjoy meaningful conversations with extraordinary women. These highly successful entrepreneurs will share their stories of remarkable success and occasionally some spectacular failures. Come join your host, entrepreneur and best-selling author Rob Kopman, as he shares this hour with you and these fascinating women. Very excited to have Alan Handelsman on as a guest today. He's a different kind of guest. Obviously, he's a man, for one thing. Most of my guests are women. Why do I have him on? Well, I actually know Alan. I know him a long time, and I know that he treats lots of women, and many of them are businesswomen. So he has insights that a lot of us don't have, and I like to hear his point of view. So without further ado, hey, Alan, how are you doing today? Very well. Thank you, Rob. Good. Good. You look healthy, and everybody, you look happy, and as usual. And uh, my audience might be wondering, well, this is a podcast about and for women. I usually have successful women on that I interview, and why do I have this guy on here? And uh, I will tell the world a little bit of self-disclosure. I actually have been a friend and a client of Alan's. He has helped me on numerous occasions, well, three or four anyway, throughout my lifetime. Uh, the amazing thing about Alan is I've booked an appointment. I've gone to see him for an hour and a half and walked out accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish. I was a different person. I wouldn't say I was cured, but uh, I went in for a specific reason, and he fixed it, and then I went on with my life and did what I had to do. In fact, when I thought about doing this podcast, I went to him because I was a little bit reticent about it, a little nervous, and I walked out saying, you know what, I'm going to do this. And so I don't know how he does it, but he does it. <laughs> I, I, I think it's like, you know, Alan, it's like I'm lost in the forest, and I hear this voice say, close your eyes and follow my voice, and I'll lead you out. And five minutes later, I'm out of the woods and back where I need to go. And I don't know, I really know how I got there, but you do it. So it's great. Uh, you have my uh, gratitude. Uh, the, one of the reasons, though, I wanted you on was because I know that you have women as clients. And I wanted to find out from you what are some of the things about women, in particular business women, that makes them different from the men. Uh, I know they're a little more insecure about some things and not about other things. They have different work-life balance because they, have, they usually take care of their kids if they have kids. But, but tell me, uh, you know, what do you see as the difference between the men and the women, especially ones that are in business? I think it's more in terms of proportions, like you, you alluded to. It's more in terms of proportions than it is the issues themselves. Um, as human beings, we all struggle with, uh, am I good enough? Um, how will I be seen? Do I want to be seen? Uh, confidence, all of that. So um, men and women typically maybe have been taught different things about themselves and their roles. Um, what I like to do is eliminate as much as we can the roles and the uh, labels so that when, because I, and I think anybody would not want to be viewed as a woman, as a mother, as a, as a child, as a man, whatever, uh, in a business situation, they want to be accepted for what they bring to the situation, what they bring to the table. And, and if we can get past that as quickly as possible, then, um, then the business is more efficient. And whoever's in there feels better. Uh, if someone goes in and, and we've already addressed how, how, how I view myself, it's a self-image that's very, very important coming in because we tend to be treated the way we treat ourselves. I find that the scariest thing I know. That's um, pretty scary. It is. I'm surprised I haven't been murdered three or four times a day. So <laughs> um, the fact that you can actually, as you train yourself, to treat yourself the way you'd like to be treated, other people begin to do that. So as your as your feeling of self worth, not as a woman or even a business person or a man or whatever, but as as a human being. So that old cliche, "You are who you think you are," is actually pretty accurate. Uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and what I'm also hearing is that women, people anyway, but women in particular, they want to be looked upon as not a businesswoman, but a business person, right? They shouldn't be a businessman, a businesswoman. It's a business person. It doesn't really matter what their gender is, right? Right, exactly. And, and I've, 
I don't like to tell people how to think or how to feel or what they should be thinking or feeling. Uh, if, if someone wants to go in thinking that thinking I'm a businesswoman, that's okay. But what we do is eliminate that part of the definition that doesn't work. So like if, if part of the de old definition of businesswoman is women shouldn't be in business. And again, I'm not saying that's true, but I'm saying that's what, what we've been taught and what some people still think, um, then, then we want to get rid of that and put in the parts of the definition, which is I'm a human being. Um, I have skills that maybe everybody has, or just I have as a person or as a woman, whatever, if it works in the situation, then we want to strengthen that. If it doesn't, we want to let that go. So it's okay then in your eyes that women are different than men in business. And I've found that they approach business differently. They treat their employees differently. They are different. We need to celebrate that more than look down on it. But it's only a small component really of what they are and how they behave in business, correct? Or is it a big, a big component? I don't know. It's, you know, <laughs> does it depend on the person? Everybody's different. all, all generalization is bad. Okay. All judgment is bad. <laughs> but I'll go lock um, myself in a closet now and come out when you tell me it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we want to send you back in time to the Stone Age, and then it'll be okay. Um, every person brings different skills. And if you bring different skills as a woman or whatever your experience is, that's okay. And I, again, you're absolutely right when you say the differences should be celebrated. Uh, the way I view it is the differences can be used. In other words, if I'm going to partner with somebody, it's not going to be somebody with the same skills because then we, then we do a lot of the, the same stuff and all the other stuff, the skills that we don't have, that doesn't get done. So if you find somebody who's different, yes, that should be celebrated because they probably have skills that that you don't have. That so, sounds like a good marriage or a good business partnership or any kind of partnership, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's it's fitting fitting the gears together. Okay. Well, I get that. So do you have uh, quite a few women clients and are, and what percentage of them, you know, just roughly, are business women? I don't know. I don't keep those records. Okay. Um, All right. Well, that, well let me but, ask you a different way. What do, what do they... What do uh, what do most women come to you for? What is their issue, or is there a common issue? Um, it it runs the gamut again because women, contrary to pop, old popular belief, are people. So they come in with the problems that people have. Uh, I think of two. One woman called me up. This is one of my favorite stories, and it and it may be edited out because it's too long, but. It may be, it may be exactly what is needed. Uh, she called me up on a Friday afternoon, left a message. She said, you got to help me. I have no self-confidence and I want to lose weight. Um, and I called her back and left a message and uh, she called me back. I, you know, I said, this is what we can do and blah, blah, blah. And not everybody responds enough the way you have after one session sometimes it takes more but <laughs> okay, I'm a good so, student. I, so i told her that yeah you're a quick study so um she calls me back she says i don't think she leaves a message i don't think this will work for me so i called her back i said of course you don't think it'll work for you you have no self-confidence you don't think anything will work for you that's why you called me See? So she said, she told me later, she says, you know, as soon as you said that, I knew you had me pegged and I had to come in. She came in, she lost weight. She has more self-confidence. So again, confidence is sort of the baseline. Um, and you want to have confidence no matter what the situation. So if you come in with, I'm worthy, I'm able, um, then if you, you go into any situation and you're going to feel more worthy, more able. And again, yes, I, I may have different skills, but if nobody else has those, then that makes me unique and, and valuable. Um, weight loss, again, speak, often speaks to confidence and being seen. 
So uh, another businesswoman who she owned a couple of schools and, and maybe one or two other businesses and very formidable woman, very, uh, <laughs> there's sometimes when somebody comes into my office and I want to write him a check and say, show me how to be more like you. So again, the reason you weren't cured is because you weren't sick, but um, she comes in and she was starting to drink a glass of wine every, every night. And she didn't, she wanted to stop that. So again, that's a, that's a human problem. Um, it's a stress problem, you know, and, and again, b people who are expanding, people are expanding their worlds, expanding into the business world. That's stressful. So we can work with bringing the stress level down to a workable level. And, um, she was a, she was used to be a counselor, this woman. So the second session she comes in or no, after the first session, as soon as we're done, she says, I recognize all those counseling tricks <laughs> and I don't, I don't do counseling tricks. I wasn't trained as a counselor per se. So she comes in the next week and I say, how you doing? And she starts shaking her head. And because I'm not the total optimist, I'm already thinking, well, again, it takes more than one session. Uh, some things work better than others, this, that. And she goes, weird. And as soon as she said that, I knew that she hadn't had a drink all week. And she hadn't. So, so it's the stress problems. It's the human problems. It's the problems that, that we bring into the, the business situation that I work with. Sometimes I think you just point out to people that, it's just a choice. I, I remember, and it's hard to believe if somebody looks at me, I'm fairly trim and I've been that way most of my life. And yet years ago, I was, I don't know, don't make fun of me now, but I was about 10 pounds overweight, I think, which to most people is like, what are you kidding me? That's no big deal. But to me, it was a big deal. I wasn't used to it. And right. I couldn't seem to lose the weight at all. And so I, I went to you for that. Um, maybe I'm just a recovering perfectionist. I don't know, but it was bothering me. So and I remember you looked at me and you said, well, you know, Rob, it's really a choice. Would you rather eat that donut and eat that, eat that cake and the things that are making you a little bit overweight and then have the extra weight and deal with it? Or would you be happier if you didn't have the weight and you're willing to just not eat the stuff that's causing it? It's just a choice. And I had, for some reason, never thought of it that way. And as soon as you said that, I realized that is a choice. So throughout my life since then, many times, I have gone up and down in, in weight. And uh, I look at the cookie that I love so much. <laughs> and I say, well, you know, how much do I want you? Um, would I, do I mind if I'm going to be a little chubbier? Is the cookie worth it? Or should I put the cookie away and keep the slimmer body and... It's 50-50. Sometimes I say, yeah, I don't care if I gain a couple of pounds, big deal. And other times I say, nah, I don't really want to have to do that and lose the weight and my clothes won't fit and, and I don't really need the cookie that bad. But it really made that idea that it's a choice clear to me. And it stuck with me for, I don't know how long it's been now, probably 20 years or something. That's, that's a lot of years. It is a lot um, of years. It's amazing how well that worked, at least for me. Uh sometimes the process is being able to install that two to three seconds of asking one more question. You know, do I really want this? Am I really hungry? Um, and, and sometimes it's just a bulb, you know, a light goes off, a light switch goes off. Other times it's the, it's the part of us that's holding the problem. So it's the part, that little voice inside that says, I want that cookie. Mm. And, and it's, we can make the choice. Yeah, I had the, this in my closet. I could hear it calling me. I yeah. hear that voice all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what happens is that, that voice is very powerful for a lot of reasons that we don't have time to get into, but it is powerful. And for some, again, more powerful than others. So if, if you make the choice consciously, see, I believe that, that the, the, our conscious is up here in our head and the voice is in our heart. And emotion always drives behavior. So if we go to that emotional part and let him make the choice and give him the choice and give him what he wants. See, what we do is instead of saying, you got to stop this, you got to change, which we've all heard that and we all hate that. 
Right. So, you put, your guard comes up instantly. Somebody, that's right. Even if your own head tells you what to do, you don't like that, it. That's right. And even if even if you say, why, are you, why do you want this? Why always puts us on the defensive. So when people come in and say, I want to know why I'm doing this, I say, if we can change that behavior without knowing why, is that okay? Hmm. Most people say yes. Sure. And so instead of asking why or scolding, like, like teach, treating ourselves like kids, um, we go, we go inside, which is part of the hypnosis, part of the therapy or the, the session. And we say, what do you want? And imagine if you were a kid or an adolescent or right now, somebody, instead of saying, why are you doing it this way? What do you want? How can I help you get what you want? We think the goal is the cookie, but goals, most every goal is that we, every goal that we label as a goal is a strategy. So when we find out what that inner part of us really wants and we find out that we have it, and that's part of the not being broken part, we have what we're asking for. So if we can give that inner part of us what he's asking for, then he doesn't want the cookie. He's, he's taking a cookie because you told him 50 years ago, I want, if, if I'm feeling bad, get me a cookie. Yeah, cookies, uh, any kind of food Whatever. is a classic, right? For Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, it lowers people's stress. It's a reward. It's uh, what people reach for when they're not happy. Uh, it makes them feel better. It's a comforting kind of thing, and, right? Yeah, and we're taught that the solution to our problems are outside of us, in the food, in the drugs, in the, the wine, in, in the work. If I, if I make enough money, then... I'll be okay. Um, I've never met anybody who's made it, who said I've made enough money. They're, they're usually in, in Tahiti or in the middle of the woods someplace. But if, if the goal is money, there's never enough. But if it's an inner goal, then money is, a, is very often a, a nice means to an end. It makes it easier uh, to to have the time to enjoy what what you have, everything that you have. It's a way of keeping score too, right? If you, yeah. you're getting paid a certain amount of money for your work, it, may, it puts a value on what your, your worth is. Right. And, and so if you're getting, yeah. you know, if you're offered a job as manager somewhere and they're going to give you a huge salary, it makes you feel like, well, they really value me. They want me to work here. They think I'm good. The money is what proves it even though the money may or may not be important, right? It's a symbol. It, uh, yeah, it's a, to me, it's an expression of it. It doesn't necessarily prove it to you. So if your self-image is, I don't deserve this, you're going to be miserable in the job and you're going to find the job very difficult. And there are books written about the, I forget what syndrome it is, but you know, feeling like a phony, feeling like... Well, uh, lately, the uh, imposter syndrome seems to be a, okay. a commonly used term. Right. So if you know, if, if you have a feeling of self-worth and you do what you love, the money comes as an expression of your self-worth, not of somebody else's opinion. So I like to think of it that way. So uh, when people want to lose weight, um, which, which I've had men and women who want to lose weight, it's, it's sort of a universal thing. But um, men are sometimes viewed as powerful when, they, when they're a little bit bulked up and women uh, not so much. So it may, it may be a, you know, it's a different type of issue, but. Do people come in and say, I want to lose weight or do they ever say, I want to be able to eat less? No, they want to, they, they want to lose weight. They usually come in with that. And then I say, have you lost weight before? And they say, yes, I have many times. So they're all experts in losing the weight, but what we do is add the dimension of confidence. See, what happens is that our self-image, our confidence, inner confidence and self-esteem doesn't come from our numbers or our shape. But people have been told that if I'm the right shape, then I'll feel better about myself. Yeah, there's nothing intrinsically bad about being a little heavier than the weight height weight chart tells you you should be, right? It's just, exactly. a, it's just an arbitrary number. Yeah, in the old days... Um, people who are come in for being overweight were valued as being very attractive. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rubenesque was a term that was exactly. used years ago, right? Yeah, it meant because, you were, you were, uh, you had money usually. You were yeah, that's successful. right. The Kings and Queens were always really 
big because they could eat whatever they wanted. Exactly. And, and that was viewed as attractive. Um, one of the reasons why skinny women, and this is what I was told, I can't vouch for this, but that the, the reason skinny women became models is because the people who made the clothes said, well, if we put, put them on skinny women, then they won't look at the women, they'll look at the clothes. Because, <laughs> because women who are valued now as the epitome of beauty were, they weren't before. The, the, the idea of beauty changes. So well, it's fashion too, right? Um, that changes as well. Sure. So, I mean, and, be, the, um, a person's build is is a, also a fashion. Sometimes thin people are in, in, in style. Sometimes a little heavier people are in style. It's it's a fashion as well as anything else. Yeah. It's it again. There's nothing intrinsic. Intrinsic. It changes. The, the idea of beauty changes. Um, so what happens is, and some people lose a lot of weight and they feel better about themselves, and and I think that's great. Um, I don't have to see them <laughs> and, and they live their lives. But for those who don't, who don't succeed that way, um, if, if we can build self-confidence first, that I feel good about myself, no matter what my shape, then it's actually easier to lose the weight. People are scared. Well, if I like myself, then I won't lose, I won't change. But when we, enjoy ourselves and value ourselves, it makes it easier to change. So, okay, so it's much easier to lose weight as an expression of self-confidence than trying to get it. Got it. Now, can you take that same mindset and put that towards, say, uh, public speaking? Is that also a matter of confidence to get up on stage and speak to a group of people? Yeah, I, I view the model, the basic model I use is inner conflict. So when you put yourself in a position where you're asked to speak in public, part of you wants to do it. Part of you says, uh, uh, better not. So what we want to do is end that conflict. And again, there's a part that's saying, I don't, you shouldn't do this. And that part is doing that usually to save you from some perceived disaster, uh, or, or feeling worse. So if that part understands and, knows that you're ready to go and that you're able to live with whatever consequences there are, then that part feels better because it, it wants what you want. See that we think that the parts that are fighting that, that we're fighting with want something different. But again, the, the difference of opinion is not in the goal. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to enjoy ourselves as human beings. But the difference is in the strategy. And we learn sometimes that, hey, if I, if I don't risk, then I'm okay. I'm safe. But sure. It's a lot safer to just say, oh, I'm not going to do that. I don't know what's going to happen. You, know, you, could, right. you could talk to a friend or be at a party and give a little mini speech, you know, give somebody your thoughts about something. And you could give the same exact, <laughs> use the same words on stage to a group of people talking to the one or two people at the party. It's not scary at all. Getting on stage and talking to a hundred people about the same exact thing, using the same exact words is a lot scarier because now you feel like they're listening. They're going to judge you. Right? So once that's, again, it's about confidence. That's right. And, and everybody's different. Um, I, I was a musician by early training and I, and a lot of people, the more people th in the audience, the scarier it is. For me, what happened is I walked out to play a recital and the place was almost empty. And that scared me because what I heard in my head was, see, nobody wants to listen to you. You're no good. So I can, I can go out again and thousands of people, chances are no one's going to buck the stage and kill me. Okay. But if there's three or four, they could gang up on me pretty easy. So, so everybody's got different, different uh, things Jack Benny talked about. He he could go on stage in a live theater with hundreds or thousands of people, but when radio came in and there was just a microphone, that that was scary for him because it was it was new and he didn't really know how to handle it. So everybody, the situation can change. That's why I'm not an expert on each situation. I'm more an expert on how we come into. A situation in our lives and who we are as we're experiencing it. Well, you know, thinking back, not that long ago, I came once again. I'll, I'll get something, do something personal here, and I came to you because uh, 
I had to teach a, a class on how to take Social Security from my financial planning business. I had to memorize a two-hour slide presentation of the PowerPoint. And uh, I had to speak in front of, oh, 10 to 20 people. Not a huge group, but big enough. And I had to have the confidence of knowing that I can memorize the stuff, because I'm not really good at memorizing things, and that I could present myself in such a way that I'm looked upon as an authority, because if I'm not, then they're not going to listen. And the, the idea was do this so they look at me as an authority. They want to become a client of mine eventually. That was the whole reason of doing it, besides just to give back to the community. And I think my, one of my fears was, well, there's two fears. One was, how do I memorize all this stuff? <laughs> and the other one is, how do I get up there and, and look like I know what I'm doing? Because I'm not sure I do. Again, I, I guess that's imposter syndrome, right? And one of the things you said to me was, well, do you know more than most of the people coming to your workshop? I said, yeah, I know a lot more than they do. He said, well, then you're already ahead of the game. Even if you go and do it tomorrow before you even memorize the presentation, right? How could you lose? And I thought about that, and then you did your hypnosis thing. And uh, <laughs> I walked out saying, I could do this. I, I can. And if I don't memorize the whole thing, so what? I'll, I'll write notes. And I wrote myself a bunch of notes. And I read read them while I was giving the presentation, and nobody seemed to care, you know. And 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 then uh, I remember I was told to dress really casually, look like a teacher, not a financial planner guy, right? Right. And I tried that, and I got some people to come into the office and and do their follow up sessions. But then I threw the rules out the window, and I came in with a really nice Armani suit and a tie, and I looked really sharp. And suddenly, everybody who came made an appointment to see me. And I realized that was partly because I looked like an expert, but mostly because looking that way made me feel like an expert. And that is what comes across, is what you project that comes from inside, right? Yeah, you've, well, yeah, again, you found the perfect combination of the outside and the inside. So, it's not, so. it's not only what you bring a lot. So there are some circumstantial things that can help us. Um, but it's usually we're so focused on the outside. So it, if you go this, he, hear somebody in an Armani suit and he sounds like an idiot. Um, well, that's still going to be an suit idiot. doesn't yeah. help. Right. Doesn't so know, it's, right. it's a nice, it's, it's again, like anything else, a balance between the two. I think it helped me more than anything else, even though it didn't occur to me at the time, but, certainly occurs to me now talking to you. So that reminds me of something else I wanted to ask you, and that is, it's, it's, I'm sure it varies from person to person, but you do a couple of things, right? You're, you're a therapist, which means you ask questions, you, you look under the rug, so to speak. You f try to find <laughs> out what the person really is feeling or really wants out of the sessions, um, you, and you know what to ask and how to ask, right? That's the therapy part. But you're also a hypnotherapist, which means that in every session you put people – under or whatever the term is, you do your voodoo. <laughs> and, you know, nobody walks out clucking like a chicken like they do on the TV. But uh, Thanks for helping me get into the mainstream. I appreciate that. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, a lot of people are afraid of hypnosis. They have this weird idea of what it is. Right? I've, I've been under, under hypnosis five, six, maybe ten times in my lifetime. I still don't even know what it is because I'm I'm under right. How do you, I'm not like you can't really be objective and look at it if you're the one being hypnotized, so to speak. So, what, what's what percentage of your treatments of your therapy is just you talking to the person, your own wisdom and talent, uh, versus while they're under hypnosis, what kind of work is done there, and you know which one's more important, or what percentage is there? Or give me a little uh, insight into that. <sighs> A lot depends on what the person is coming for. Um, some people like smokers. They come because they want to quit smoking. Some people um, maybe have not made an effort. And by using hypnosis, everything goes quicker. And they can, again, change parts of themselves that they were unaware of. Some people, they've already made the decision. Like you said, they made the choice. And they're going to do it. And But they feel like... If I do the hypnosis, that'll put me over the over the edge into what I want to be. For those people, the, my main concern is that I don't get in the way. <laughs> I don't do anything to mess it up. So, uh, and and anything in between. 
some some clients I have, they just want to talk. And as they talk, they realize the solution to their own problem, which is a little bit like like you. Maybe we're a little bit more active, interactive than some of the clients. Um, so it, it can work in a variety of ways. Um, hypnosis is very natural. We're all in it hundreds of times a day and, and not even know it. Um, my favorite example, if I may. Is, yes, you may. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I may have to pay extra for this, but I may. Um, as long as you don't I, charge me, I'm okay with it. <laughs> no, it's, it's just maybe the emotional price for each of us. Um, so hypnosis, the way I define it, and everybody defines it differently. So if you, if you go into a, a meeting of hypnotists or a hypnotherapist and you say, what is hypnosis? Oh, there's a joke here somewhere. Chances are, well, chances are you'd end up in the middle of a fist fight. Okay? Okay. Nobody agrees on the definition. My definition is, has three parts, inner focus, altered perception, usually relaxation. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time getting a person to relax because the process itself brings on the relaxation. So we end up always much more relaxed than when we start. If you've ever driven on the freeway and missed your exit, You've all the time. Been, good. You've then for some people it's the trick to get them out of hypnosis, see? Because when you missed your exit, you were in hypnosis according to my definition. You were focused inward, which simply means um, solving problems, daydreaming or even listening to the radio. Narrows our focus, brings it in. And inner focus is the is really the key. That's why it's listed first. And again, we're taught to focus on the outside. So when we begin to focus on the inside, it's a very different experience and very powerful because it's new and different and a lot can be done. So we're focused inward. We're listening to the radio or solving problems in our head. Our perception is altered. You'll, you'll say, I didn't even see the exit sign. And that's true. So perception uh, changes when we focus in. And, I, and the relaxation was there because I guarantee you that you are much more relaxed when you missed your exit than when you discovered you missed your exit. Oh, absolutely. So, as soon as I miss it, I'm not so relaxed anymore. And Exactly. And uh, you didn't as, even know how relaxed you were. Yeah, and as opposed to coming and seeing you and walking out feeling better about myself when I miss my exit, <laughs> I don't feel better about myself. I go, you well, idiot, what'd you see, do? That, that's right. Then the perception, as soon as you're focused outward in I'm in the wrong place on the highway, then the perception goes back to the old perception, which is I'm not, I'm not even good enough to find my way home. Or Yeah, or well, I'm navigation, personally, I'm navigationally challenged. I've been all of, lost all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm able and to yet, get lost in any city in, in the world. And uh, I've done it so often that I don't really care anymore. People will say to me, well, why don't you take a tour or something? I, go, I don't want to take a tour. I'd rather just find my way around. Yeah, but you sure. tell me you're not good at it. Yeah, well, I don't really care if I get lost because... Half the time when I get lost, I discover something that I wasn't looking for that's more valuable than the thing I was looking for. So to me, it's an opportunity, not a problem. Now, missing my exit is not an opportunity, but I don't really care that much anymore because I realize, oh, so what? I'll just get off the next exit and kind of turn around. It's not a big deal. And part of the process of knowing your, your inner strength, even if it's not specifically finding your way, it's knowing that you can enjoy and benefit from every experience that you have. And well, a lot of people I talk to, entrepreneurs, they say one of the big obstacles that a lot of us have is fear of failure or fear of making ourselves look like we don't know what we're talking about. And those successful ones, they tell me they like to fail forward. I learned that expression from a realtor, actually. And uh, a very young realtor, she's 24 years old, but very successful. And I was lucky enough to be able to interview her. And, and she said, yeah, every week we meet and we talk about how we failed forward. In other words, they look forward to failing. And then the group learns from that experience. So they hopefully don't do it again. But they always learn something from it. And most people will tell you they learn more from their failures than their successes. Well, right? I want to point out something that you just said. Again, I hear the contradictions because that's a sign of inner conflict. And it's not necessarily yours, but you express theirs, which is we learn from failure. We celebrate our failures every Friday afternoon or whatever it is so that we don't do it again. Well, if you learn from it and it's celebration, maybe we want to do it a few more times. See? Well, maybe, but you don't want to make yeah. the same exact mistake again, right? 
Uh, you probably won't learn something the second time. Well, you know what? Maybe you will. How do you? Know. Sometimes you, we learn best from repetition. The, no, the okay. point that I the point that I'm not arguing for failure per se, but if we let go of the judgment, it's the judgment that oh. causes the problem. Okay, failure and success. Sometimes we don't know until well after our judgment makes any difference. See, so because some lots of times when we're going through something, we say, "I got it now." This is it. I'm good for the rest of my life. And then it fades away. Other times as we're going through it, we say, oh, I really messed up. And it turns out that something wonderful happens. So, so labeling it a success or a failure, especially if we label that good or bad, that's what causes the fear is I don't, nobody wants to be bad. Well, my favorite example is Edison, right? He's he, he yeah. tried, I don't know how many thousands of different elements to make a light bulb, and he went, all right, good, now I know that one doesn't work, let's try the next one. He looked. At, he, he didn't think that was a problem at all, it was just part of the process. Exactly, it's it's part of the process, it's part, and, and I view a lot, uh, I, especially recently, of taking steps along the path, and and if we clear the next step, then we've take, then we've moved forward again, failing forward, succeeding forward, or just moving forward. And, and it's not good or bad. And sometimes we want to go backward. Think about a bow and arrow. Okay. If you, if you shoot the, if you pull the bow back two feet and you shoot it and you're short, the arrow falls short, you want to pull the bow backward further. Not for, not, you don't want to go forward. You want to pull the bow backward. Sure. So it's again, Learn, learning what works the most efficiently and enjoying the process and enjoying who we are as we experience the process. And that's, that's a big deal. I've been looking back on my life recently and sorry to hear that. Uh, well, someone, <laughs> someone had to no, live it once. Someone had to live it once and somebody has to live it again. <laughs> and if it's, Oh, well, but what I realized that when I'm not feeling good about myself, I say, I didn't achieve anything, you know, and I look back and I realize all that I have achieved when I'm feeling good about myself. And I did achieve a lot and I have achieved a lot, but the difference is I didn't enjoy it as much as I could have. Hmm. So right now it's not how much do I achieve or, or how quickly do I get there? It's how can I enjoy this? And we, we have tremendous skills as people, as women, as men, as business people. We have tremendous skills, tremendous things to offer. And if we realize it, not that we become egotistical, it's simply that we can enjoy wherever we are along the path and enjoy the next step forward. And that's why we're doing anything so that we can enjoy ourselves. Uh, I agree. All right. I got a question for you. Maybe you can answer. Um, <laughs> I noticed that, uh, you know, I've been married 30 years now, I think it is. Oh. And uh, I'm lucky I got a pretty good marriage. I love my wife and I actually like her as a person. And um, she's got lots of skills, talents, etc. And there are days when I don't like her. And when she just bugs the shit out of me, you know, she's, you know, she just annoys me, right? For whatever reason, and I'm not happily married at that moment, or at that day, or that week, or that month, even. I mean, I one of the nice things about being married to somebody for a good reason. Some people get married for the wrong reasons, right? But if you get married for the right reason, the nice thing is you get to fall in love all over again every so often. I usually do it every few years, and it's great. You can't beat that. But the point here is, I find that when I, I'm not happy, when I don't like her. When I can step back, or maybe it's later, I realize it wasn't her, it was me. I was either a little depressed, or I wasn't happy with myself. It had nothing to do with her at all. Because as soon as I'm feeling better about me, suddenly I like her again. And she didn't do anything different. That's right. So why, and I know that's not unique. Why do people do that to themselves? Why is it that we... <laughs> I project or whatever. Why? Why is it that I don't like her when I don't not liking me? I don't. I don't understand that. Even though I know it's true. The 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 scariest thing is that people treat us the way we treat ourselves. The second scariest thing may be that we treat others. We treat others the way we treat ourselves. So if, again, if inner conflict is strong within us, then we're in conflict with everything around us. Uh, I I've been in oh, that. Okay, position. that makes sense to me. 
Yeah, I've been in that position, that situation where I've been, I look at my wife and say, I got to get out of here. Luckily, there's a voice in my head that says, Alan, now's not the time to make life choices. You're, <laughs> you're feeling miserable. Yeah, right. I'm not, and the voice says, I'm not saying don't go, but don't make the decision now. Wait till you feel better and then sit down. And of course, when I start feeling even a little better, I look at my wife and I say, wait a minute, she's not the enemy. She's my friend. Which, and that's because I've looked at parts of myself or I've looked at myself in the mirror. And instead of saying, that's the enemy, I go, wait a minute. No, that's my friend. That's the hero mm. of my story, not the, not the villain. I suspect that you could put a lot of divorce attorneys out of business. <laughs> Just taught people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, I worked, I worked, uh, there was a, a general manager of a car dealership and, uh, she was sending me her salespeople to work, work better at sales. And a lot of the sales and they, they set records for sales, you know, when I, after I worked with these people and, but it doesn't always work. In other words, one guy came in and he felt so good about himself after the manager paid for his sessions, three sessions. And he felt so good about himself. He quit his job and went into business for himself. So, so when people come and say, I want to save my marriage, it's like, that's not a guarantee. Yeah, no, it's not. So, it's not. I know. <laughs> it's funny. So every, so the, the, the voice lawyers are, are safe. <laughs> okay. They have yeah. Yeah. I, 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 sure they are. All right. So, what I what I see, I've talked to quite a few women now, business women, doing interviews, and always trying to find out, like we started talking about this, is what is it about women that are different than men in regards to how they approach business, especially what I'm seeing is aspiring business women. In other words, people who maybe have a job, maybe they're really good at it. And and they you know it's I would really like to be in business myself they say to themselves right or either for whatever reason they hate their boss or it's time or whatever it is they want to take that step take that leap it's like jumping off a cliff they want to take the leap and go into the business it's a scary because first of all they might not be in income for a while but it's, it's not really that it's more of an insecurity so what kind of golden nuggets words of words of wisdom can you lay upon them to make them feel a little less scared about taking that next step? I would say, of course you're scared. scared being scared doesn't mean that it's wrong. Um, being scared is just your opportunity to be a hero. Um, one of my favorite examples is Forrest Gump, uh, who everybody thought was a great hero, but in the classical sense, he was not because he felt no fear. He was, again, too stupid to feel fear. I mean, clinically non-intelligent. So being afraid is part of the process. And it's using that fear. Some people use it to stay away. Some people use it to propel themselves forward. And I think most people get stuck right in the middle of it. So it's acknowledging the fear. And, and then... Being, and once you acknowledge it, then you can begin to use it to the, to the way you want to, to your advantage. So it's not saying be fearless because <laughs> people who are fearless will walk off the cliff without a parachute. People who have fear say, I'm going to use the parachute and then you have a soft landing. And that's maybe what we want in business and or soft opening if it's a restaurant. So um, it's it's using what we have at the moment. And again, by judging the fear is bad and I got to get rid of it. That's saying that what I'm, what I'm feeling is wrong. And that's what causes the problem in the first place. So it's acceptance of where we are at the moment and knowing that wherever we are, we're along, we're along the road. We're on, we're on the path already. Perfect. That's great. That's a really nice way to end our, our interview as well. Uh, yeah, I really like that. Um, it makes perfect sense to me. I'm sure that'll be very helpful to many of my listeners who are thinking of taking that next step and are just a little bit too scared to do it. It's, it's okay to be scared. Just don't want to stop you and be as prepared as you can, right? Take your parachute, but jump. If we, fighting our fear takes a lot of time and energy. 
And if we're not fighting it anymore, then we can use that time and energy to follow the rules, break the rules, take five or six steps instead of just, instead of just struggling with the next one. All right. So um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, maybe they could use your help, uh, use some words of wisdom. Maybe they just want to relax and you, you hypnotize them, <laughs> whatever it is. Or maybe they want to be entertained. You're actually one of the funniest people I know. You weren't necessarily funny here because this is a serious conversation. But I know, Absolutely. Alan, it happens to be very funny and entertaining. Um, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, you have a website, the phone number, I'm sure, the email. What's the best way uh, for people to get in touch with you? And, and uh, how do you work your business? Do you have one appointment at a time? Do you like to make a plan? I mean, what do you do? Good questions. Um, I have a website, www.sourcehypnosis.com, which means yeah, we... Could you say that one more time, please? Sure. Source, source. hypnosis. Right. Source as in the beginning or the, the starting point sourcehypnosis.com um, maybe it's easier to call me or text me um, I know I don't look it especially when it's just audio but um, every time I text I feel 48 years younger <laughs> um, and it's um, 602-478-8346 call or text and I will obviously get back to you we spend some time on the phone or texting or whatever and talk about Again, what 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 you want to accomplish, um, and how the best way to do that is um, for you. It's one session at a time every couple of years, <laughs> and and you're doing fine. Yeah, Other yeah. people, it, it it does take longer. Um, people say the um, the what is it the, the very difficult we do immediately. The impossible takes a little longer. Okay. So, um, so we you know everybody's a little bit different. Some people say here's X amount of dollars for X amount of sessions and let's go do them. Other people, every session for 12 or 13, they say, well, let's do one more. And, and we do it that way. So can you do this over the phone or over zoom or in person? Any of those three, th three ways? Uh, yeah, right now I, I'm not doing much in person um, out of respect for people's health, mine as well. But um, the phone session, I've been doing phone sessions for 20, 25 years. So it's nothing new to me. There's no skills that I'm just learning. Oh, that's uh, nice to hear. Yeah, exactly. We do. You've um, treated people all over the world, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and it's, and it's funny. People say, how can you do it over the phone? And it's like, well, you know, within 10 or 20 minutes, I say, close your eyes anyway. <laughs> so it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter where we are. So, um, so, yeah, so the process, again, if you're looking inside, you're always with yourself and you can always look inside. So you're, you're still connected and you're still in exactly the same place that you need to be to get the work done. And I will be close enough that I will guide you through it. Sounds great. Do you have an email address, too, that you use, or do you not use email? Uh, I do use email. Alan Hand, the first four letters, of, well, my first name, A-L-A-N, and the last Four first four letters of my last name. Don't take any English lessons from this it's, guy. <laughs> it's amazing I can sign my checks. <laughs> um, and I'm dating myself by saying signing checks. Right? Yeah, really. Um, so H-A-N-D, A-L-A-N-H-A-N-D, and a at AOL.com. Yeah, you're dating right? yourself that way, too. Hardly anybody has AOL. <laughs> I know, address, right? I know. Um, <laughs> I'll have a different one probably by the time this airs, but <laughs> you know, so many people for so many years know me from AOL that sure. it's it's hard to get rid of. So, uh, and I don't hide it. And again, if I'm the only one in the networking meeting who's got an AOL address, I'm going to stand out. There you go. Yeah. Oh, he's he, he's the guy who he's, he's the geezer. Okay, that's it. You know. <laughs> so, and that speaks to experience. Um, I got to tell you, there was one guy who was a financial planner. And he was like 24 years old and he was concerned that people would view him as inexperienced. You know, how, how, why would I tell somebody in their forties, fifties, sixties, how to invest? But it turns out his company started in like 1878, you know? Oh. So, so I said to him, why don't you tell people I'm 24 years old and I have 150 years worth of experience. See? So Perfect. it's, yeah. So it's, again, it's finding, if what you have is something different, that's wonderful because you have no competition. So okay. AOL, Alan like Hand at AOL.com. 
I gave and I'll put it in my work. show notes anyway. It'll be, you know, on, on the at the end of the show notes. I'm on the C-Suite Radio Network, and I'll be on Apple and all the other popular uh, platforms. Plus, I have a website, uh, theamazingwomenpodcast.com. People can find me, and they can find you. And you sent me a nice picture, so I'm going to put that up as well with some background information. You know, you, if you go and check it out, you'll learn more about Alan than you really wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your help. <laughs> but seriously, he, he's, he's a nice guy. He's a great person. He's really good at what he does. I don't say that lightly. Um, he, he, he really is just very good at what he does, and I can't recommend him more highly. He's, he's, he's uh, my favorite therapist. <laughs> and as you well, yeah, I don't know how much that's worth. I don't go very often, right? I go for an hour and a half every three, four, five years. But so what? It works. I, I'm thrilled that it happened so fast. I know it's like the way of time. I want to tell you a story. And okay, and then we'll can... close with that. Okay. Um, there's a psychologist who says, if they don't call me back, I know that I've succeeded. And sometimes that works. But I think of if you go to a restaurant, you really like it. He said, oh, I really, that was the best meal I ever had. There's no reason to go back there anymore. <laughs> so so it, it, it can work either way. So the fact, that, the fact that you only come means that you're probably a lot, you came in a lot more, uh, a lot better than you thought you were. Well, I've already spent 40 hours ruminating over it, so I know exactly what I want when I come in. <laughs> so I'm a little different as a patient, I'm sure, just because of that. I just need a little bit of help, a little direction. Not everybody's as fortunate. Uh, that's Every, the reality of it, you know. We, we find out the quickest way to get where we want to yeah. go. Well, let, let, you know, something more pertinent is this. You know, with your example, I may come in every four years for an hour and a half, but the reality of it is whenever I think I need a little tune-up, my back hurts, I say, you know, I'll go to a chiropractor. I'm not signing up for 12 sessions. I think that's nonsense. But I'll go right. once, crack my right. neck, fix my back, whatever, walk out, I'm okay. If, if that doesn't do it, then I need some other kind of therapy. I'm not going back five times, right? Same yeah. thing with my head. If I need a little, little tweak, a little something, I can't do something, I'm afraid, I need whatever it is to, to get to the next level, next step, you're the only person I think of. Right away, I think of you first. Oh, I got to go see Alan. You know, just like you have a plumbing leak and you have a plumber you always call. Oh, I got to call, call the guy. I got to call the plumber. That's the guy because and, it's worked before. Yeah, all the, trust by the them. way, ladies, the, one of the biggest plumbing companies in the Phoenix area is owned by a woman. So when you say I got to call the guy, it's the people that are working for her. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, need to interview, I need to interview her. She's, I'm sure, a very interesting person. That's great. Anyway, thanks so much for doing this, Alan. It's been a real pleasure. It's just like it's a pleasure knowing you. And um, I hope to see you again in three to five years. <laughs> <laughs> Professionally, I hope that I never see you again. Personally, I hope I see you every day. So, pleasure. Thanks for joining us today on the Amazing Women podcast. Subscribe now and get the latest episodes sent to your device every week. Go to our website, theamazingwomenpodcast.com, to hear bonus episodes, download free business tools, and join our family of amazing women. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.